Hi, my name's Matt, and this is a podcast about life after the coronavirus vaccine. Welcome to episode 51. In episode 48, we looked at an article by Johan Hurry about attention and finding flow. The article drew from a larger work, a book called Stolen Focus, which came out not long ago and which I have greedily consumed in audiobook form this week. It answered some of the questions I had from reading the shorter article and it raised many others too. In the book, Hurry draws on his own experience of finding happiness and purpose in moments of focus and attention and his own battles to figure out why it can be so elusive even when it is so fulfilling. We left episode 48 asking if focus is a good in and of itself and I suppose the book answers this from instincts I think many of us share that the moments we have found happiest, most meaningful, most positive, are so often those where we are present in the moment, taking part in the here and the now. And whilst focus is not the only thing that those moments require, it is one of them. And so if we cannot access it, at least when we need it, then those moments will be less available to us. The book lays out 12 causes that have stolen our focus, from food to technology, from chemicals to our working lives, among the many things which can all negatively impact on our ability to focus. But there is one standout feature of the book that grabbed my attention, an idea that Hari introduces called cruel optimism. What is cruel optimism? The idea is this, we exist in a system that is essentially pouring itching powder on us. A system that at the same time says, if we were just better people, we would be able to stop ourselves from scratching. If we just meditated enough or had enough self-control or made the right changes to our lifestyle, we'd be better if we bought the right organic foods or avoided the wrong chemicals or uprooted our lives to live on a farm, then we could get by. If we change the right settings on our phone or buy the right tech products or install the right software blockers, then we would survive. And there is some truth to this. Yes, there are things we can do to wrestle back our attention. Later in this episode, I'll share some that have been helpful to me. But there is a limit to what we can do on an individual level. Some of the change will have to come from the system, from our employers to the social media companies to the food production chain through to governments and international alliances. We need the system to work better to put our well-being at its heart. Let's take just one of those, social media and technology. We've talked here many times about how endless scrolling news feeds, 
carefully curated for each of us by algorithms, are deliberately designed to hold our attention. To get from us an extra few minutes of looking, tapping and swiping. We don't need to believe in an evil conspiracy of malicious bad actors to see that social media companies make more money the more time we spend with them. The more time we spend in their apps, the more they can show us ads and the more they can learn who we are so the ads they show us are more likely to work. When they are incentivized to increase the time we spend with them, then the more they are driven to value that above all else. Our focus, our happiness, our connection to others and the world be damned. I've had a social media break for the past couple of weeks. It's a temporary solution at best, but a much needed one. It has helped me find some space and time to sit with feelings of discomfort and sadness and not to drown them out or distract myself away from them. It has given me much needed time to ask myself really difficult questions and find answers. Much of that filled last week's episode. Part of that reflection has been trying to be comfortable with the way others see me, and in particular, realising that there are people whose approval I don't want or need, because quite frankly, I don't agree with them. The way they think, the things they value are just not the same as mine. So even if I could get their approval, I wouldn't want it. It would be a sign of failure, not success. To be okay by them, I'd have to not be okay with myself. And that is, simply put, not okay. Taking a break from social media helped me to see just how much I had unconsciously bought into the idea that More views, more likes, more comments meant my stuff was better and therefore by association I was a better person. I had allowed myself to base so much of my value, particularly as a creative person, a musician, a writer, a podcaster, to be determined by the reaction it got on social media. And and it does kind of make sense, right? As creative people, so much of our ambition is to make things that say something to others, that speak and connect with people. And so if more people like or comment or share our work, then we have, to some extent, been successful. But with social media, there is a sleight of hand that has been played on us. One that means we're performing for an audience we don't even know and one we might not even like. As I shared last week, I find myself wanting to find and valued the opinions of people I admire and trust. Well, I think there is something fundamentally wrong with my relationship with social media and the value I give the feedback that comes from it. I have allowed myself to continue to think that likes and comments and shares have made people happy when it mostly means it has made the algorithm happy. It means that when the algorithm showed my post to a few people it thinks might like it, based on all the things they've liked before, that if they tapped or swiped or liked it, then 
it will get shown to more people. The algorithm decides will also stick around in the app a little longer because they might tap or swipe or comment too. Sure, there are people on the other end, tapping, swiping, liking, commenting, sharing, but those people are hidden behind an algorithm. And that algorithm has its own interests at heart, not ours. When I think of myself in a TikTok scroll hole or an Instagram deep dive, I'm not particularly a person I like very much. Not once I'm in the mindless zone of infinite scrolling. There are things we can do on an individual level to help. Taking a break has at least helped me to see the problem more clearly, but it's also a systems level issue. If I'm not a person I like when I'm consuming social media, and to be a quote-unquote success, I have to create things I don't like too, then there is a limit to what I can do for myself and what you can do for yourself too. It is a system issue. I am not much of a social activist. It's just not my area of expertise. I love that so much change can come when people get together and demand it. In fact, the book Stolen Focus gives examples from the demand for women's rights to gay rights to trade unions fighting for workers' rights we enjoy today, like The weekend. But it's just not where my brain goes to. There is a growing movement of organisations pushing for change and I hope that change comes on a social level. I really, really do. But perhaps it's cynicism. Perhaps it's too much ingrained individualism. Perhaps it's a lack of optimism. But I still feel the need to feel like there are things I can do right now to make things better. And there are. They're just not going to fix the system. But they can make mine and your place in it a little easier to live with. We can't stop all the itching powder. But we don't have to sit under it shouting more, more, more. Perhaps these ideas are more cruel optimism, but I hope they're not just that. So, what can we do about it? One, practice compassion. Recognise you and the people around you are operating in a system that isn't working and which you have very limited capacity to do anything about. It sucks, but it's there. It's real. And we must be compassionate to ourselves and each other about it. We may be able to make some of these changes and some of them we won't. That's okay. We are in a broken system. Number two, recognise when circumstances change. Sometimes other things in our life are wearing down our patience and our resilience and our capacity to cope. Sometimes things are brighter and better and healthier and we have the ability to cope with more. There are many great benefits to technology and social media, but they do come with trade-offs. So whilst I hope the next few suggestions for managing our relationship with the noise will be helpful, they may not always be needed. Be kind to yourself if you need more of them sometimes. 
Learn to notice when that might be the case. It's okay. It's not you. It's the circumstances. Three, limit notifications. This is one I have done for a while and do even more of now. I basically have all notifications turned off on my phone except messages and phone calls. If you can't turn them off, then try to group them. I do this with my email, for example. So they arrive at set times throughout the day rather than in drips and drops at any given moment in time. Notifications are distractions and sometimes they are welcome ones. For me, messages are just that. I love them. But there will be times when even those are unwanted and I will put my phone on do not disturb mode every night at bedtime, for example. But for me, messages are the line. I want those. Likes, comments, friend requests, friend suggestions, blah, blah, blah. They're all just dangling fish hooks trying to get me back in the apps and scrolling mindlessly. And I have opted out. It helps me to do more of suggestion number four. Distinguish between the important and the unimportant. This is so damned hard. We've talked about it before, particularly throughout the pandemic, how the narrowing of our lives onto virtual connections and digital platforms also made the difference between the important and the unimportant so much harder to distinguish. Social media apps are designed in such a way that makes it worse. And in particular, because over the past few weeks, as I have been particularly sensitive to the fact my resilience and mental well-being has been low and needs more time and space to recover, I have felt this fuzziness become all the more grating. So much so I've had to take a total break for a couple of weeks. There have been things I have missed seeing, people I've missed keeping up with, but there has also been so much noise I'm glad to be without. Going back, my intention is to try and notice when the switch flips. When I have moved from seeing things I want to see to the things I'm just being pushed as part of the endless scroll. That is the moment to close the app. If noticing is too hard, some people find timers help. Whatever the way... Finding ways to find the good and filter out the noise can be helpful. Finally, number five, find and value real connection. For me, this is messaging. It's cutting out the middleman of feeds and algorithms. But it's also this podcast. It feels like a space crafted away from the jostle of the endless scroll but I do really struggle with promoting it because where else can I tell people about what we have here if not social media? And how can a message about avoiding the noise of the feed ever succeed on that very feed without playing its attention-grabbing game? If you have any ideas, please let me know. Because I want this podcast to be one of those places. To be a place of real connection. And I want people to find it that will really enjoy being included. So those are just five suggestions from me, ones I have found helpful. 
But if you have others, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed it, you can follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. You can find the podcast on social media at Life After Vax, V-A-X on Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to reach out for a more meaningful connection, you can drop me an email. Hi at lifeaftervax.com. Until next time.